Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here. I have something here that I borrowed from Brother Mark. I'm wondering if anybody, I know Morris knows what it is. Oh, I'm having the wrong side, okay. It's pretty far away, but can anyone look at that and tell me what you think it is? Burns, I saw your hand go up first. You're really close. It doesn't tell time. It tells something else. Any other guesses? Go ahead. Is it a compass? It's a compass, yeah. So when you hold it flat like this, there's a little green arrow that will always point to the north. And that way you know which way north is. And you can follow it. And if you want to go east, well, of course, you just go at a right angle to that green arrow and you'll, you'll go east. So if I wanted to go to 81, and I know that 81 is northwest of here, I could use this and it would take me there, right? So I have a story. First of all, I want to read a verse. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And that's, uh, that's God talking. He says he will guide us with his eye. And I'm not sure if I know everything that that means. I will guide thee with mine eye. Um, but I know part of what it means for sure. And we have the Bible. God guides us with his word. And that's like our compass. And, that's, and uh, it will always tell us the right way to go, right? So my dad, which would be Seth and Hudson and Judah's Grandpa Martin, a long time ago, was riding in an airplane in northern Ontario, and there was five people in this plane. It was meant for four, so he was in the back where the luggage was supposed to be. And um, they were flying from Beaver Lake to Sterling Lake. It was a plane with pontoons that could take off and land on water. So they took off from, lake, uh, from Beaver Lake, and they were flying to Sterling Lake, and Claire Schnoop was the pilot, and riding beside him was Amos Esch, and it was maybe about an hour flight. And um, Claire was the pilot. And I guess Amos knew how to fly as well, at least somewhat. And Claire wanted to stop paying attention and visit for a while. And so he asked Amos, he said, could you fly? And if you've been in a plane, you know how it is. Usually the front two seats both have controls. So if one person decides they don't want to fly, the person beside them can do the same thing with their, from their seat. So... Claire turned around, and he was visiting for a while, and Amos was flying. And after a while, Amos said, you know, I'm not quite sure I know where we are. And so Claire spun around, and he said, I don't know where we are either. And so they had a map, and I don't know if you've ever looked at a map of northern Ontario, but it's a lot of green and blue, mostly green, a lot of lakes. Trees and lakes is all you'll see from an airplane up there. And... Um, Thankfully, the lakes aren't all the same shape. And so they were looking at the map and looking at the lakes and flying and looking at the lakes and looking at the map. And finally, Claire says, oh, okay, I know where we are. And he said, we got turned around. We're going the wrong direction. And Amos said, oh, well, there's a compass here on the dash. I was, I was going by that. And Claire said, oh, that compass doesn't work. <laughs> But they got turned around and they got to the lake they needed to be at. So that was a compass that didn't work. Um, and how many times do we listen to voices we shouldn't listen to or pay attention to things that we shouldn't pay attention to? How often do we let things guide us that should not be our guide? God wants to guide us with his eye. Let me read this verse again. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. So God is our compass. And I believe this compass works as well. So just like the Bible and just like this compass, we can, we can trust what, what we're being told.
I don't know if we're brave or foolish, but we thought we'd try it anyways. So a number of years ago, Evelyn said that, I guess the church was memorizing Micah, Hosea, Hosea 6. And I guess she was being profitable with her time while she ironed. And she, she looked at the verses while she ironed, and um, the tune, a couple of tunes came to mind for Hosea 6.1 and then 6.3. And some years later at Christian Light, they did a they were doing character sketches on the employees. And somehow it came out in the character sketch, and so Samuel came hunting her up and asked her about it. Uh, Samuel would be Elam, the fellow that preached this morning would be his son. And so he put it to harmony. And uh, if I would have been on the ball a little bit more, I maybe would have pulled a couple of people together. We had all four parts. But anyways, I guess we'll sing verse 1 and then verse 3. And if you want verse 2, you, you have your own Bible and you can figure it out, I guess. some of the others but anyways a crow sat in a high tree holding a tasty bit of cheese in her mouth along came a hungry warthog the crow will laugh when she sees my funny face he said and when she laughs she'll drop the cheese he called to the crow making a funny face but the crow did not even smile she was enjoying her little game along came a hungry tiger fly down to me crow coaxed the tiger sweetly Place that cheese on my nose and I'll show you a clever trick. But the crow did not move. She did not trust that tiger. Along came a hungry little elephant. Drop the cheese to me, crow, said the elephant, or I will give you a shower bath. But the crow did not drop the cheese, even though, whoosh, the elephant's trunk sent up a stream of water. Drop the cheese to me, you ugly old bird, called the big brown bear, and you may have this honey from the bee. But the crow did not like honey, and she did not drop the cheese. The crow was about to eat the cheese when along came a cunning little fox. Oh, beautiful crow, he called. You are lovely to see. A bird with such charming feathers must sing a pretty tune. Please sing for me. Now the crow had never been told she was pretty, although she thought she was. And she had never been told that her voice was pretty. She opened her beak and rasped an ugly call. Down tumbled the cheese into the fox's mouth. Now wasn't she a silly bird to let that sweet talk fool her? I guess you can make your own comparisons. Our family has two songs that we like to sing in the evenings sometimes, and the songs have pictures. 
if any of you younger people would like to come up so that you can see the pictures in this book, you can come on up now and sit on the bench here. And Granddaddy or Brother Keith will move out of the way so you can sit there. Anybody want to come up? You gave me a smile, you gave me Jesus, and you made me your child. 
and I just thank you for the four making me me. If I were an elephant, I'd thank you, Lord, by raising my trunk. If I were an octopus, I'd thank you, Lord, for my good looks. If I were a crocodile, I'd thank you, Lord, for my big smile. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. For you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me your child. We have three songs that we'd like to share with you. Um, and I may have a few, other com- a few comments to make about the other ones, but we'll just sing this one to start with.
uh, one that uh, Anson brought home from course practice, and uh, the family likes it and listens to it in the band, and so we thought we would sing it this evening. Some of you already know it, guys. <coughs> Down in the valley, Joseph Malins. Twas a dangerous cliff, they did freely confess, though to walk near its crest was so pleasant. But over its terrible edge, there had slipped a duke and full many a peasant. So the people said something would have to be done, but their projects did not at all tally. Some said, put a fence round the top of the cliff, some an ambulance down in the valley. But the, but the <coughs> cry for the ambulance carried the day, for, a, for it spread through the neighboring city. A fence may be useful or not, it is said, but each heart became full of pity for those who slipped over the dangerous cliff, and the dwellers in highway and alley gave pound and gave fence not to put up a fence. But an ambulance down in the valley. For the cliff is all right if you're careful, they said, and if folks even slip and are dropping, 
it isn't the slipping that hurts them so much as the shock down below when they're stopping. So day after day, as these mishaps occur, quite forth was those rescuers Sally to pick up the victims that fell off the cliff with their ambulance down the valley. Then an old sage remarked, it's a marvel to me that folks give far more attention to repairing results than to stopping the calls when they much better aim at prevention. Let us stop at its source. All this mischief, cried he, come neighbors and friends, let us rally. If the cliff we will fence, we might almost dispense with the ambulance down in the valley. Better guide well the young to reclaim them in old, for the voice of truism is calling to rescue the fallen and go but his best to prevent other people from falling. Better close up the source of temptation and crime than deliver from dungeon or galley. Better better build, put a strong fence around the top of the cliff than an ambulance down in the valley.
so the young are done and the old start, right? I have a parable, maybe two, and a poem. This is the parable of the pens. That was the Sabbath day, and I rose and washed myself and attired myself in clean raiment and went to the house of God. And it came to pass that I sought in the middle drawer, and I found therein a clean shirt which had been sent home from the laundry. And the bosom thereof shone like polished alabaster, and the starch therein was so stiff that one might scarcely open the buttonholes without a screwdriver. And behold, I could put it on, and I pulled out sundry pins. Behold, and before I put it on, I pulled out sundry pins which the laundry had placed therein, and there were many pins in the shirt. And after I had pulled out pins enough to hold the solar system in place, I put on the shirt. But I had overlooked one pin. And I went to the synagogue, and I sat down, and I found that there remained a pin in the garment from which I had withdrawn so many pins. And I changed my position so that the pin no longer hurt me, and I forgot about it for a season. But when we had risen up to praise the Lord in song and had sat down again, behold, the pin hurt me again, and in quite another portion of my anatomy. And later I found it still elsewhere. And when I had returned to my house, I removed my garments, and I sought for the pen and found it and removed it, and it hurt me no more. And I said to my soul, Take not overmuch comfort in the faults thou hast removed, neither be thou self-righteous. Behold, while one pen remaineth in thy shirt, did it not hurt thee in twenty places? Even so is one fault which thou removest not. Therefore, let no one cherish pride until he be perfect. Therefore, let no one cherish pride until he be perfect. And if the time comes when he count himself perfect, lo, this belief is the one remaining pen. Yea, and it is a long, is a long. It is long like a hat pen and jabbeth both himself and others. Wherefore, beware of self-righteousness, and see thou forget not to remove the pens that remain. Rising above the clouds. I rode upon a railway train, and we were in the Rocky Mountains. We awoke in the morning, and the train was climbing, with two engines pulling us and one pushing behind. And we were nigh unto twelve furlongs above the sea. And it came to pass as we ascended that there were clouds below us, and clouds upon the sides of the mountains. But there were no clouds above us, but the clear shining of the morning sun. There came unto me a small girl and her younger brother, who were riding upon the train, and we talked about the clouds. For so did John Ruskin, the heiress and Aristophanes, and the little lad was very happy, and he said, I have never been above the clouds before, and his sister was worldly-wise, and she said, A cloud ain't nothing but just fog. And he said, Nay, but this is more. And behold now, how when then is a cloud just under us, and we ride upon the top of it. And she said, We are on the rails, just as we always have been, and there ain't can't Nobody rise on a cloud, ride on a cloud. The boy said, Jesus can ride up on a cloud, for I saw a picture of him. The little girl said, Yes, but that ain't us. Now the little girl may have been right, but I thought within myself that this world hath too many people who look out on life through her windows, for they see no sunlit clouds, but only fog. They have little faith in rising above clouds, but have confidence only in the rails. And I do not despise rails, nor advise people to discard them and ride upon clouds. Nevertheless, I have seen people rise above clouds and live in the sunlight of God. And I have known others who, whenever it is said unto them, Thus have others done, or thus did the good Lord Jesus, 
make a reply, yes, but that ain't us. And if it is spoken concerning the house of God, thus did the synagogue in Jonesville, and thus was it done by the church at Smithville, they answer, yes, but that ain't us. And if it be said, thou shouldest be a better person, for others have risen above thy clouds and thine infirmities, they say, yes, but that ain't us. And when it is said, thus hath the grace of God abounded in our lives, they say, yes, but that ain't us. But if it ain't, why ain't it? For this cause did God dwell in human flesh, that we should never count any good thing impossible through the dear Lord Jesus. For he is our peace, who hath broken down all middle walks, that we should no longer say, but that ain't us. Poem entitled One Day at a Time by Annie Johnson Flint. One day at a time with its failures and fears, with its hurts and mistakes, with its weakness and tears, with its portion of pain and its burden of care, one day at a time we must meet and must bear. One day at a time to be patient and strong, to be calm under trial and sweet under wrong. Then its toiling shall pass and its sorrow shall cease. It shall darken and die, and the night shall bring peace. One day at a time, but the day is so long, and the heart is not brave, and the soul is not strong. O thou merciful Christ, be thou near all the way. Give courage and patience and strength for the day. Swift cometh his answer, so clear and so sweet. Yea, I will be with thee thy troubles to meet. I will not forget thee, nor fail thee, nor grieve. I will not forsake thee. I never will leave. Not yesterday's load we are called on to bear, nor the morrow's uncertain and shadowy care. Why should we look forward or back with dismay? Our needs as our mercies are but for the day. One day at a time, and the day is his day. He hath numbered its hours, though they haste or delay. His grace is sufficient. We walk not alone as the day, so the strength that he giveth his own. There are a number of verses that are along with this. I'm just going to read through them quickly here. Psalm 73:26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 2 Corinthians 4.16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Isaiah 33, verse 2, O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm, their morning. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. 2 Corinthians 12.19, My grace is sufficient for thee. Hebrews 13:5 I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And 1 Peter 5:10 But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after ye have suffered a little suffered a while make you perfect establish strengthen settle you. Good evening. Now this is off my notes, but uh, as we began this service, my mind went back when we were beginning to have a family and, and we looked forward to the day when our children could, could help us sing. Um, then uh, as they got a little older, we looked forward to the day when they could harmonize Well, now I'm going to tell you a little story about Evelyn. I don't think this will embarrass her because she won't remember this. But uh, So there was a three-and-a-half-year span between Evelyn and Audrey. So Evelyn had lots of time to practice solos. And uh, one of her favorites was the song we sang tonight, 
leaning on the everlasting arms. I remember sitting in the in her car seat in the back seat of the vehicle. We're driving down the road, and she's back there leaning, leaning, kind of over and over. But anyway, all right. So like I said, that was off the notes. How many enjoy history? You know, we all live with a sense of history. And a long time ago, someone made the statement that the thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is describing some of Israel's journey from Egypt and through the wilderness. Twice he says that what happened to the Israelites were examples for us. Then he sums it up by saying that the one who thinks he is standing, take heed that he does not fall. In a seven-week period from October the 19th to December the 8th of this past year, I lost an uncle whom I was close to, <clears throat> my brother-in-law, and my father. Attending these three, these three funerals so close together was a clear reminder of the words of Amos the prophet, prepare to meet your God. I also was moved to reflect upon their lives and the choices they made and how those choices have affected and influenced me. As a boy and a young teenager, I grew up in a Mennonite home. However, we lived in a very liberal, worldly Mennonite community in Southeast Virginia. And it was having its effect on my life personally. We did not give second thoughts to joining the world on a hot summer day at the public beach. By the time I was 14, I was thoroughly addicted to country music. It was at that time that my father made the choice to leave the birthplace of all of his children to move to northern Minnesota. Little did I know the impact that, that move would have upon my life personally. Moving on to a beef ranch in June of 1976 thrust us into a very busy summer schedule that left little time for idleness. Furthermore, living in a somewhat remote area, we didn't have the readily available radio stations that we would have had in Southeast Virginia. Through that experience, the Lord began the winning process in my life off of country music. Even though it has been nearly 46 years since I have listened to the world's music, some of those songs are still written upon my memory. We certainly want to guard and direct the minds of our children so they can have pure memories to think upon. My father was not perfect, but he left an example of love for the church, the reading of the word personally and family worship. As a teenager, he was monotone and could not sing, but he applied himself and learned to sing and made singing a part of family life. It seemed like wherever dad was, he would be singing. He drove school bus for the public school and he sang. He later was employed as custodian at the high school and during the off school hours, he would be singing. He demonstrated by his life that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now some thoughts about Uncle Stanley. But before we talk about Uncle Stanley, I'd like to go back one generation. <clears throat> Uncle Stanley's father, my grandfather, was born in 1894. When he turned 20 in 1914, the U.S. was entering World War I. He did not grow up in a Mennonite home. I don't know much, hardly anything about that home life. But he enlisted in the military for World War I. However, he was never in active duty. Sometime during the war, 
he um, attended some Mennonite revivals. And during those revivals, he was converted, came to know the Lord. The story is that he never intended to join the Mennonite church. But some godly men nurtured and discipled him, and he later became a member and embraced the Mennonite faith. He then married a sister in the church and was later ordained a deacon. My uncle Stanley was a special uncle for numerous reasons. In June of 1981, he and I traveled together from northern Minnesota to his home in Oregon. During the summer months, I lived with his son, but that fall I moved in with him for three months. Uncle Stanley had been married, but his wife had left him over 10 years before this. The next summer, 1982, I traveled again to Oregon and lived with my uncle for over a year. In December 1989, we moved to Oregon from Michigan as a family. Evelyn was nearly four years old and Audrey was six months. Not having a place to move into, Uncle Stanley opened his two-story house to us where we lived for six months. When we moved from Oregon to Texas in March of 1998, Uncle Stanley drove the 24-foot moving truck pulling a 14-foot trailer. By that time, we had six children. Now, Uncle Stanley loved the church, and he loved to be in church on Sunday. We had gotten off later than planned from Oregon, and we had wanted to be in Texas for church Sunday morning, but I began to realize that we wouldn't make it. However, Uncle Stanley was determined to be in church. We had both spent the night in Redding, California, He got up earlier than us on a Friday morning and drove to Childress, Texas, nonstop, a distance of 1,640 miles. He was 73 years old at that time. Uncle Stanley loved Bible conferences and church missions. Not having a wife, he would travel by himself to attend Bible conferences. His travels took him to church missions in Mexico, Ukraine, Romania, and his last mission trip was to Grenada. He was 94 years old. He joked while there that he always wanted to go scuba diving, but he thought he better not try it. One year ago, January 2021, he went out to his mailbox. He pulled out an envelope. He looked at the writing and recognized it as his wife, as being his wife's writing, who had left him 50 years before. He opened the envelope and discovered a personal letter from her. She was confessing that she had sinned against God and him and was asking for his forgiveness for all the hurt that she had caused him. During this 50-year span, she had outlived two other men. She attended his funeral and had the opportunity to talk with her for a while. Her son, my cousin, was here recently and said she wants to wear a veiling. I marvel at the mercy and grace of God allowing reconciliation to take place. 
Now to reflect upon my brother-in-law, Ron Yutzi. I may not have all these facts straight concerning this part of the past, but in the 1960s, Mennonite young men who were conscientious objectors to participation in the military would often travel outside their church communities and serve time working in hospitals as nurses. Some young men did well in this environment and others lost their way spiritually. Some of these young men developed relationships with non-Mennonite young ladies and some got married. Such was the case with Ron. He married this young lady who did not grow up in a Christian home, but she was willing to follow him in the Mennonite faith and practice. When they got married, Nancy would have been nine years old. Through the years, the Lord worked in Nancy's heart when she began to realize that there was more to the Christian life than what she was experiencing. And through the influence and example and choices of her sister Judith, she was baptized and joined the Mennonite church in 1980 when she was 23 years old. Friends, no doubt we are all influenced by the lives and choices of those closest to us. The Bible says that evil companions will corrupt us So likewise, godly friendships can help us heavenward. However, today, like those in the past, we must contemplate seriously the choices that we are making. Will those choices take us and our children where we want to go? As we journey through life, we all face bumps in the road. But 30 years ago, I thought my road had come to an end. My wife was in the hospital. I told was told my day, her days were numbered and I was a young man with five children. What was I going to do? The story here is not about me. Arlene felt impressed that she wanted me to read her testimony for her. Now God has shown his mercy. I will read it. Thirty years ago, the end of January, we lived on a small poultry farm just over the hill from CLP. I had stayed home from church that morning because I wasn't feeling well. Sunday afternoon, I called Mark, who's at the Timberville farm, and said I felt like I was going to pass out. He contacted our family doctor who said he would meet us at the hospital. Later, the doctor said if we would have waited till Monday, the next day, it would have been too late. The hospital did tests over the next several days but not find the problem. Wednesday evening, another test was planned and I called for the anointing just before that. I realized that God was able to heal at any point and nothing be found. Cancer was found, and surgery was the next day. More than once when in the hospital, I was asked whether I wanted a support group. I was blessed to be able to tell them that my church was supplying what I needed. At that time, we were attending Raleigh Springs. The church was praying for us and bringing in food. Later, the Valley Sewing Circle did some sewing for the girls and Catherine, her sister, did some for the girls and me. Catherine Marie, okay. Radiation and chemo treatment centers had recently moved into Harrisonburg, and I was blessed that I did not have to go to the Charlottesville for that. And I'll just insert partway through the treatment, they discontinued. He said it was no use. She wouldn't make it anyway. Back to the sheep. It seemed that I couldn't get my strength back, and one day I was reading the Bible, and I came across the account of the disciples in a boat on the water. 
A storm had come up, and Jesus came walking on the water and told them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. I was in a storm, and he was telling me to be cheerful because he was here. I was not to be afraid, and that was a real encouragement to me. I thank God that sometime through that I was healed. When we were children, we sang the song, I have two little hands to work for Jesus. I knew that God wanted us to use our hands and feet, etc. But then years later in a song service, we sang the song, I love you, Lord Jesus. And part of the chorus says, my body is yours for anything, Lord, not just my hands and feet. And that was a new thought. Did that mean my body was his for cancer? He had at least allowed it and would want to work through it. I want to be more committed to follow him. closing remarks. Thank you, each of you who took part, and is there anything that any of you all would like to say? I debated whether to say this, but I was a Mark Shea, that's my memory. I remember seeing her that night. I told myself, she ain't gonna make it. She's still here. Dad's name was um, Charles. Charles. What was the grandpa's name? Charles is dad. That's okay. <laughs> There are some pictures on the board in the back, pictures from Daddy and Mom's trip. It tells you a little bit about Joshua and Melody's place. Brother Levi, would you lead us in prayer as we stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you here tonight. Thank you for the sharing the testimonies and we borrow what you goodness, Father. When I live for you, trust in you and your provision, serve you faithfully, but you call us from here. Bless this congregation as we depart in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.